Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the blessed assurance that we have through your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that when we were still helpless, that Christ died for us. That we could not accomplish a relationship with you of our own. We could not accomplish righteousness before you on our own. That we can't navigate the difficulties of this life on our own. But there you are, <laughs> through your Son, Jesus, giving us this assurance of not only life right now, but an eternal destiny with you. Thank you for being reminded of those truths today. And as we turn our attention now to your scripture, with a theme that is very much related, we ask, Lord, that you would continue to shape our thoughts and as a result, shape our actions. That you do this in conforming us to the likeness of your son. In his name we pray, amen. In this life... God asks you to believe and to do hard things. And if you've never experienced that, dare I say that maybe you haven't experienced what a robust relationship with God really looks like. Because believe me when I tell you that God asks you to believe hard things. And he asks you to do hard things. They feel hard because... Our human experience is so tainted with our personal desires, with our limited perspective, with a sin nature that so often leads us down a path that's opposite to his desires, to his goals. And at other times in life, we see this dynamic in which God is working right in front of us. We see it, we recognize it, we know it. And yet, for some reason, our fears paralyze us from engaging in the way that we want to or the way that we know that we should. I wonder what the hardest thing is that God has ever asked you to do. If we were to pull everybody here in the worship center today, what is the hardest thing? I'm sure that many of you could list a number of things that are exceptionally hard. Today we continue in this series that we're going through calling Rethinking Your Favorite Bible Verse. This is a series in which we're taking many of the verses that we find to be common to us or encouraging to us. We're putting them back in our context. We're enjoying the encouragement from them. We're applying them uh, intentionally to our situation today. And it's not surprising as you go through life and you see the fact that God says uh, or calls us to do hard things and to believe hard things, that he would also give us encouragement along those same lines. And therefore, it's not surprising that so many people have a favorite Bible verse, Joshua 1.9 in which the Lord says to Joshua, Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In Joshua, we see that God's people stood alone on the precipice of the land that he had promised to them. Or so they thought they stood alone. They'd come a long way since the days of their slavery in Egypt. They'd seen a lot. They'd suffered a lot. But through it all, they had their leader, Moses. He was always there. He was the one who served as the mediator between God and the people. And he was strong. But now Moses was dead. And the task before them 
seemed unlike any task that they had experienced before. And you can imagine that as they stood there on the precipice of this promised land that they were paralyzed, perhaps, by fear. What was about to happen? What would come next? You can imagine the sense that they must have felt of being completely and utterly alone. At the points of transition in our life, at the point of crisis in our life, and even quite often through the daily grind of living, there are points when every single one of us can relate to being paralyzed by fear <laughs> or to feeling like we are completely and utterly alone. And in those moments, we have this desperation to hear from God, and as did the people of Israel and as did Joshua. So I want to ask you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. And let's hear what God said to them. Joshua chapter 1, it's on page 178 of that pew Bible that you have in front of you. I know a number of you have been turning already. Let's see what God says to his people and to Joshua. We'll read verses 1 to 9. It starts this way. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all of this people into the land that I'm giving you to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and to this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous being careful to do all that the law of the Moses, my servant, commanded to you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous." And then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Where is courage found? In the crossroads of life when fear is standing before us and even looking at us in the eye. Where can we find courage? The first thing that we see in this text is that when we fear the task ahead, have courage because of God's promise. Have courage because of God's promise. You can almost hear the collective groan of Israel as Joshua became their leader. You can almost hear the voice, or the expression, boy, boy, oh boy, he's got big shoes to fill. That expression is one that we use all the time, don't we? We talk about it in terms of giving approval to the predecessor and skepticism to his successor. 
boy, oh boy, he has big shoes to fill. I imagine that's what people said when Andrew Johnson, on April 15th, 1865, succeeded Abraham Lincoln as the President of the United States. Boy, oh boy, he's got big shoes to fill. Martin Lloyd-Jones is widely considered to be one of the best preachers in the history of the country of England. He was a pastor of Westminster Chapel for 25 years from 1943 to 1968. And a few years ago, I made acquaintance with one of his successors, a man named R.T. Kendall, who went on to pastor Westminster for another 25 years. And standing in the shadow of the great Lloyd-Jones, as R.T. Kendall took the pulpit on his first Sunday, he could hear the whispers going throughout the chapel. Boy, oh boy, he's got big shoes to fill. Moses was dead. He was the one who stood up to Pharaoh, calling upon God's power to inflict plagues upon the nation of Egypt. Moses was the one who parted the Red Sea. Moses was the one who waited for God in the tent of meeting. And as God descended upon the tent in a cloud, everyone who saw took witness to this stood in awe and respect. And all they could do was worship. Moses was the one who met the Lord on the mountain, and as he descended from the mountain, his face shone with the glory and the radiance of God. Moses was the one who mediated the covenant between God and his people, and he was the one who brought them from Egypt as slaves through the wilderness for many years to the precipice of this promised land. Moses, their strong leader, was there. But now he's dead. And as they stood, Joshua, as their new leader, with this people of God, knowing what they needed to do, they undoubtedly experienced fear for the task ahead. And we all know that fear can have a paralyzing effect. It's part of our common human experience. But in the midst of fear, God gives Joshua these encouraging words. He says to him, Be strong and courageous. And he goes on to say, because he, God, will fulfill the work that he has promised to do. Now, so often when we think about this verse, we think about it in terms of applying it to any and every fearful situation that we're in. However, we're reminded here that even though some of those general applications might apply, there's a specific context in which God works out his promises God works his promises with a people who are engaged with him, and in those promises, we, his people, find great courage. It's interesting, as we look at Joshua chapter 1, verses 2 to 5 of this, the way that God expresses his promises to Joshua are the exact words that God uses in Deuteronomy chapter 11. As some many years earlier, he expresses these promises to the great Moses himself. In a very real way, God has a succession plan here. And his promises are extending to his people through time. But if their promise was to receive the land, and that's not our promise today, does this verse have any relevance for us at all? Well, I think it does. It does simply in the fact that God makes a number of promises to his people today as well. And we can have courage 
in this life because of those promises. Let's think about them together. God makes a lot of promises. He also has a number of things that he doesn't promise to us. And there is a specific thing that maybe we might consider to be his greatest promise. So let's look at all three of those categories. What does God promise to you? Well, he promises that through faith in Christ, your sins will be forgiven. He promises that through Jesus, you will be called a child of God and that you have all the benefits of the children of God. God promises that he will be near to you through the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. God promises that he will bear fruit in your work for him. God promises that you will be empowered to stand firm, to resist temptation and to resist attacks of the evil one. God promises that in the most difficult instances of our lives, that his grace will be sufficient for you. That you don't need anything or anyone else. What does God not promise? Well, God doesn't promise that you will avoid difficulty in this life. God doesn't promise that you will avoid persecution for your faith or ridicule. God doesn't promise that your physical or emotional or sexual desires will be fulfilled. And God doesn't promise that your material desires will be fulfilled. In short, God doesn't promise that if you have a relationship with him that life is going to be easy. In fact, again and again in the Bible we see news to the contrary. That even though through a relationship with Christ you can stand firm in so many ways that in fact this life is pretty hard. But there's an ultimate promise that, God's ma- that God makes. And that ultimate promise can be seen in Matthew chapter 10, verses 28 through 33. This is Jesus speaking. And he's speaking to his people who stand fearfully before him. And he says this. He says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, for you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Here's the deal. Through faith in Christ... The greatest fears of our lives can be met with courage because God promises to keep you as his prized possession in eternity. The one who demands your most focused attention as you meet those crossroads, those crisis points, even the daily grind of life, is not the person who's standing right in front of you, as threatening as they may seem. The one who demands your most focused attention is the person of God himself who stands in eternity and whose judgments are infinitely more severe and whose blessings are infinitely more wonderful. When you fear the task ahead, have courage because of God's promise. 
There's another aspect of courage here that we see in this text. When you don't know what to do next. Sometimes we get to a place in life, I know I've been there plenty of times, when you feel like you just don't know what to do. You're underwater and you don't know which way is up. You're in the middle of the ocean and you don't know which way to point to dry land. You're disoriented and you're confused. And here we see when we don't know what to do next, God tells Joshua to reinforce his courage by obedience. Look with me at verse 7. He's already told Joshua once to be strong and courageous, and now he tells him only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. My friends, there's great security in obedience to God. I mean, any of you who have children know just how much security is found when kids obey their parents. You see so much more of the picture than they do. You understand the implications more than they do. How much more is this true with God, our Heavenly Father? I mean, we, we play this game at my house with our kids where they stand at the edge of the stairs and they kind of, you know, get their rock on, they get their lean, and they jump off. And I catch them. And even our little one-year-old who can't even jump knows how to play this game because he trusts in his father. And so he gets up to the edge of the stairs, and rather than jumping, he just sort of falls forward and trusts that I'm going to be there to grab him. How much more is this true with our heavenly father who knows all and who sees all? I mean, God knows everything. And he's all-powerful. I recently heard this great quote from D.A. Carson. There's, for the one who's omnipotent, there are no degrees of difficulty. He can do anything and everything that he wants to do. And you can take courage as you obey him in what he wants you to do. Sometimes we get to the point in this life where we just don't know what to do. And in this case, we might summarize God's words to Joshua is in, do the next right thing. Have you ever heard that before? I don't know what to do. Well, just do the next right thing. And that's enough. How do you know what the next right thing is? Well, that's a wonderful aspect of this God, that he tells us what it is, that he reveals to us what it is. And as he revealed it to Joshua in the Old Testament law, he reveals it, he reveals it to us in the Holy Scriptures in its entirety. He tells Joshua that you've had a promise, and now you need to act on that promise. And all you have to do along the way is obedience. Christians, you have a lot of promises that God's given you. Act in obedience along the way and see how God works. You can have great courage in that. I know that sometimes our decisions don't feel to us to have moral significance. And many times they don't. But I'll tell you, the vast majority of our decisions do. That there is a way that God wants us to live and to act and to function in line with his priorities for this life. How do you know what those priorities are? Well, he tells Joshua as much and he tells us as much. Verse 8, he says, The book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you should meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then... You will make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. Look at some of the words there. Be careful to do. He's supposed to do something with this thing that he's meditating on. He's not supposed to just engage part of it, but he's supposed to engage all of it that's written. We see 
another motivation for Christians to read regularly read their Bible. God doesn't just nourish you through his word, but he also prepares you through it. And friends, I hope you're reading your Bible regularly because God shows himself to you. He feeds you, spiritually speaking. But in a very real way, as you become more and more acquainted with his priorities for this world, he's preparing you for those moments when you are paralyzed by fear. He's preparing you for the intersections of life where you don't know if I should go right or left. He's preparing you even for the decisions for courage and the daily grind that all of us have to make. And if you don't know where to start, let me give you two options. Back in the lobby, we have a little Bible reading card called E100. It's 100 common Bible verses that will get you started in meditating on God's Word day and night. If you don't want to do that, start in the Gospel of John and start reading forward from there and enjoy this preparatory work. Because when we don't know what to do next, reinforce courage by obedience. And let me give you a reminder. We often talk about courage with regard to the extraordinary things of life, don't we? I mean, the, cri- the huge crisis opportunities that we have. But it takes a lot of courage to go through daily living in obedience. It takes a lot of courage for some of you stay-at-home moms with all the different pressures to move in different directions, to engage your kids in like 55 different sports at the same time, or to, to have a job outside the home if you don't want one because that's how women are supposed to be fulfilled in our society, or, or any number of different messages that the culture tells you. It takes courage to say, God, I want to faithfully focus on my children for this season of life and raise them. It takes courage for some of you guys, whether it's at work or whether that's in your entertainment, to say, these are the options before me, and this option looks fun, and this is the option that all my buddies are doing, but I'm going to go this way instead. Courage happens in the ordinary, way more than it happens in the extraordinary. Be reminded that you can reinforce that courage through obedience, and God will work in that way. There's a third way here, though. And the third way we see is that when we feel like we stand alone, find courage in God's presence. We can find courage in God's promises. We can reinforce courage through obedience. And in verse 9, we see we can have courage in God's presence. Look at what he says to Joshua. For the third time now, be strong and courageous. But there's an escalation that's happening, isn't there? The first time he says, be strong and courageous. The second time he says, only be strong and very courageous. And the third time he says, have I not told you? Be strong and courageous. And then he tells him why. Because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. There's something incredible about God's presence that changes the way that we live our lives. And this gives us courage. Five-year-old Johnny was in the kitchen as his mother made supper, and she asked him to go into the pantry and to get out a can of tomato soup. But Johnny didn't want to go into the pantry alone. So he looked at his mom and he said, Mommy, it's dark in there, and I'm scared. She paused and she asked 
him to go again. But he persisted. I don't want to go in. So finally she said, it's okay, Johnny. Jesus will be in there with you. And so Johnny hesitantly walked over to the pantry and he opened the door and it was dark in there. And he peeked around the corner and he began to stammer and he decided that this wasn't a very good idea. So he began to back out when he had a brilliant idea. And he took a step forward and he peeked his head back around the corner into the pantry and said, Jesus! Psst! Jesus! If you're in there, Will you please pass me the can of tomato soup? <laughs> that is so often the way we think about God's presence. When we're just at the crossroads of fear, maybe he's there and can help bail me out of the thing that I don't want to do. But God's presence is so much more profound than that. I mean, think about it. That the God of the universe would draw near to you? That he'd accomplish his purposes in you and through you? That he's made a number of promises to you as Christians. And upon giving his great commission to his disciples, the, maybe the most daunting task that was before them, he tells, Jesus tells them he has all authority and power and they're supposed to go and make disciples, to evangelize the nations, to baptize people, to teach people. And then he makes this promise. For surely... I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We might summarize the dynamics of God's calling and our response in this way. When the work is God's, the courage is ours. When the work is God's, the courage is ours. I know we want to read the first part of Joshua 1 and say, yeah, God said, wherever I put my foot, therefore I'm going to be a conqueror. It's going to be mine. But no, this happens within, within the boundaries of God's promises. It happens under the guise of, his, of obedience to him. It happens in concert with his presence. But when the work is God, the courage is ours. And yet, we so often fail in our courage. There's a lot of different ways, aren't there? One of the leading ways, of course, for our time and even for our church, that we fail in courage is with regard to sharing our faith with other people. Leighton Ford, a number of years ago, during his evangelistic campaigns, asked all kinds of people about the issues that they had in evangelism, and he said that this issue of fear keeps coming up again and again and again. And what makes people hesitate to share their faith, he asks? Well, here are some of the fears that they mention. They say, I'm afraid I might, not do, I might do more harm than good. I'm afraid that I won't know what to say. I may not be able to give a snappy answer to tricky questions. Maybe I seem bigoted. I may invade someone's privacy. I'm afraid I might fail. I'm afraid I might be a hypocrite. But perhaps the most common fear, Ford writes, is that fear of being rejected. A survey of those attending a training session for the Billy Graham Crusade in Detroit some years ago People were asked, what is your greatest hindrance in sharing the gospel? 9% said they were too busy to remember to do it. 28% they said that they felt like a lack, they had a lack of information. Nobody, 0% said they didn't care. Everybody cared. 12% said 
said that their own lives were not speaking as they should. But by far the largest group, 51%, said their biggest problem was fear of how the other person would react. Because none of us like to be rejected, ridiculed, or regarded as the oddball. But God calls you to believe hard things and to do hard things. God calls Old North Church, standing on the precipice of the Mahoning Valley, to say, here's a bunch of people who don't know me, (laughs) to engage in ongoing kingdom work. And when the work is God's, the courage is ours. Whether it's against injustice or whether it's for the advance of the gospel or whether it's just in the common things, the daily grind of life. Courage is needed. But when the work is God, the courage is ours. I don't know about you, but I look back at church history and I think about those who've gone before us and how they have sacrificed and the courage that was required in societies that are much more hostile than our own. And sometimes I look at myself in the mirror and I look at us in Western Christianity and say, man, we are just a bunch of wimps. We stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. And they have done incredible things under the power of the Lord and exercised great courage. One such man was an 86-year-old man in the year 156. Shortly after Jesus. He was brought before a Roman official and asked to renounce his atheism. He was no atheist by our standards today. Rather, he was a devout Christian bishop named Polycarp. And the Romans thought that he was an atheist because he refused to worship the emperor and the other pantheon of gods in Rome. And Polycarp knew that a denial would mean a painful death, either being thrown into the arena to be devoured by wild animals or to be burned alive on a pyre. And three times he was questioned. Three times he was invited to renounce his atheism. But no renunciation of Christ would he make. Swear, and I release. Curse Christ, urged the Roman official, to which Polycarp replied, 86 years I have served him, Christ, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Polycarp was not spared. A pyre was built, and he was burned alive. But his words echo down through time and through history, and they echo down even to us today. Eighty-six years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And the words of Jesus echo down to us today. Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, You are of more value than many sparrows. 
So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. When the work is God's, the courage is ours. And we sure need it, don't we? Let's pray together. Father, to have courage outside of ourselves in the midst of a world that we only partially see and partially understand. But we take great hope in the words to Joshua and how they apply to us that our courage is bolstered in your promises, that it's strengthened in obedience, that we have courage because of your presence. When your work is being done, we can have courage because you care infinitely more for us, your prized possessions, than you do for anything else in this earth. God, perhaps there are some here today who have not yet acknowledged you, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10. My prayer for them is that in the quietness of their heart, that today would be the day where they recognize and confess their sin to hold fast to a Savior, Jesus, and put their faith in him for forgiveness, that grace and mercy would be bestowed upon them. For those of us here today who have called you Father for some time but need courage for the things that you have us to do, Lord, bolster in us this sense of resolve and a knowledge of your loving kindness and care. We pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen.